Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I am Jason, a guy that does not mess around with xylosine. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. Or the xylophone, for that matter. <laughs> I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. Any experts. And my name's Jason. I'm a wound care nurse. Yeah, we got Jason back on. I, some of you guys might remember him. We had him on for an episode. We we talked about wound care. We talked about what he and his work through Voices is is doing in the community. And then we apparently there's some some new stuff we got to talk about with Jason. So I'm not gonna do a whole lot of introduction. I'm gonna let you take the show away for now. Okay. So um, I was asked to uh, kind of talk about xylazine and trank dope, quote unquote, recently the news uh and the news being like vice and kind of that more of the underground news agencies have started talking about this new um drug that's becoming an epidemic it's actually been around since 2000 2002 um puerto rico it was super popular for whatever reason you could buy bundles of drugs uh your heroin cocaine and uh, tranquilizer in like a a a three bag Hmm. and you could mix what you wanted so you could pick you know if you want more coke or you want more heroin or you a little bit more of the sedation from the tranquilizer for whatever reason it picked up it's kind of cool though it's like a little like a little mini pack like a sale right like it's like it's like like the um i mean there's something intriguing about it for a guy like me i'm like man i could have got it all in one shot like it's a three for one yeah yeah. like if you want to sleep a little mix and match right 100 percent. i love it um (laughs) so when the borders locked up and heroin became much harder to find and fentanyl became the mainstay in the states for whatever reason the drug cartels started mixing the fentanyl with xylazine which is a um illegally obtained it's not an illegal drug um tranquilizer for animals they use it's like a, a lot of the misconception is it's only for large animals my wife worked with animals and she used it on rabbits yeah so i read i heard cats yeah it's safe it for, for bunnies and kittens yeah. and stuff they use it on little animals too um did you just say safe for bunnies and kittens? It's safe for bunnies and kittens. <laughs> yeah, safe. But all right. Okay. <laughs> well, no, that's actually one of the talking points I always say because everybody's like, it's for large animals like elephants and it's not. It's <laughs> it's safe for bunnies and kittens. <laughs> so that became like the mainstay. Um, so you're saying they've done animal testing with this. <laughs> it's actually safe for animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's not safe for humans. In 19, I think 63 um, or it might be 67. It's, it's mid 60s somewhere. They the drug came out. I think Bear Pharmaceuticals made it for a new blood pressure med, and it was wildly unpredictable. <laughs> um, some people got it. Some people the same dose that someone took that actually lowered their blood pressure and it was successful killed somebody. So wow. the first death by the FDA deemed it unnecess- uh, unstable for human consumption, hmm. and then it just went to veterinary medicine. And people had like played with it before on the drug trade, but it wasn't a thing. Now that it's a thing. Um, yeah, it's a real thing. So 90% of the samples of drugs taken from Philadelphia test positive for xylazine. We have the same numbers in the county we're in here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because and most of this county's drug supply comes from Philadelphia. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah. And apparently, um, some from some of the, the contacts we have, there's a couple main cartels that feed Philadelphia, and they may be the ones responsible for shifting it up the, the coast also. I heard they're starting to find it in, like, Michigan and points, mm-hmm. you know, it's starting to spread out it's, farther yeah, away I, from I Philly now. I think there's 13 or 14 states now that have confirmed issues with it. Um, it's everywhere. Yeah, Massachusetts up through the yeah. northeast. The east coast has been hit hard. The west coast is starting to see it. But um, just by seeing it all the time uh, here, I've been in contact with now people from Oregon, uh, Michigan, St. Louis, Florida, Alabama. New Mexico, and these are all like nurses, nurse practitioners, or um, people running certain service programs, and all of them are starting to say, you know, our participants are telling us that I'm, I feel different when I get high. I'm not. I don't want to get us too far off in la la land while we're still describing the problem. But I'm just <laughs> curious what everybody thinks of like, how do you think this works somewhere along the line, wherever these shots are being called in these cartels? Right? Is this like? Is this like the main guy uh, or, or, or the main guy's scientist coming to him and be like, hey, there's this other drug. We can mix these precise amounts in. It'll work really well. Or do you think the main guy is just like, let's throw some other drugs in there and see what happens? <laughs> uh, honestly, I think I think it's a little bit more precise, but I think it's way after the fact. So the fentanyl, they know the fentanyl's coming into the uh, states just in fentanyl. I mean, you saw the colored fentanyl and Skittles bags and stuff like that. Um, that's just pure fentanyl. When it gets to the the distribution level and the bagging level, um, or you know, putting in capsules or the little bags is where the xylazine gets added. Oh, okay. And I and actually, it's in the book Fentanyl Inc. That guy talks about the process of how these drug cartels and people found out about these drugs with the advent of the internet and all this information being available online. Then they could research certain chemical compounds and be like, right. oh, these compounds do something similar. Mm-hmm. So we can make this with these backyard drugs we got. So, you know, that was a big part of it was all the information being available on the internet. So it is pretty uh, uh, organized. Like it is, I mean, it's billions and billions of dollars to these right. cartels. So the fact that they have a couple chemists on staff is really not a surprise <laughs> the crazy part is when you can trace it all the way back but in puerto rico they don't know why it started they can't mm. find why it started and apparently there's an island in puerto rico off the puerto rican main uh island and it's it's very rural they have a, a ton of horses and they think it may have started there for the abuse of like veterinary medicine mm. because they didn't have any other drugs, but they're not 100% sure. Huh. Um, and that's the one place you can trace it all the way back there. An epidemiologist said, hey, guys, in 2000, like 2008, I think he published the paper saying this is a problem. It's coming. And nobody listened. It was well, a white paper that he wrote. And nobody cared. Then I could tell you some drug addicts started it because living around this area in Cecil County, when I was in my 20s. A friend of ours had a horse farm, and we went and stole tranquilizer out of their thing wow. and cooked Absolutely. it up and snorted it. Yep. <laughs> like, and we had no—I don't couldn't tell you what it was called. We had no idea what was going to happen. We're like, oh, it's an animal tranquilizer. It's got to fuck you up in some yep. way. So we and cooked I, it. I, <laughs> and I think, and that's it. honestly why it's added <laughs> yeah. to the drug supply. Fentanyl is a great drug, but it lasts for fifteen to twenty minutes, and it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use it all the time in medicine, and it's a safe drug relatively when used properly right um pharmaceutical grade stuff that you know what you're getting you know what you're taking but it only lasts for 20 minutes and so what i heard with the xylazine was 
I guess since it's readily available to pharmacists and it's pretty cheap, a lot of even like pharmacist assistants have access to it. So you don't need like a medical license or a pharmacy to get it. You sort of just need to know a friend that works at a vet and you can get it. My in basket, I literally have a 50 kilogram drum that I got a price for from India of pure right. powdered xylazine. Nice. That I get for like, do you still want this emails? Like, hey, you're still interested. Like yeah. I did th- I did this probably a year ago for a talk I was um giving to Hartford County um politicians and I wanted to show them how easy it was to get. Right. And like I just pulled it up and showed them the email. Like, hey, I can buy a fifty kilogram drum. It's like a hundred bucks a kilo. <laughs> right. Like that's crazy. Right. right. But can um, they trace that? Like wouldn't like that's my thought. Like, isn't that super easy for the FBI or whoever to follow the It's mailbox? not a scheduled drug. Yeah. So th- um, that's why it's a pharmacist. I mean, it's for animals, so they don't track it. Yeah, it's not so anybody still they're still buying it for animals. Like that's still you said because so, it it's an old drug. That's and that's the interesting part. So it is still used for animals. Um there was a lot of and this is I, I've been part of a bunch of talks lately with brand new information because when I guess people that do what we do, they treat people on the street and like we're frontline, but we're the actually gathering information. So there's a big group of us that come together now and readily share information. The newest information came out of Philadelphia with a recent drug bust where they actually had the bottles of animal xylazine. Up to that point, they hadn't found bottles at a drug mm. bust. And this was a huge bust. Like multiple houses were brought down. Um, but it took less than a day for the, the drug supply to pick right back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but inside those houses, they were packaging houses and they found veterinary six they like six packs that are shrink wrapped together and they found them open and they just just like you said you cook it up you, you double boiler yeah. evaporate the liquid and you get the salt and that's the thylazine i'm still messed up about the 20 minute high from fentanyl i'm like <laughs> that don't seem worth it like, no i can i can tell you now when we found we're we're part of a drug testing program uh voice of hope is um through the state of maryland and when people bring in empty bags paraphernalia anything i can swab it and send it into national uh, like a national lab to test someone had given had called and we picked up a weird druggist fold envelope and um it was full and when we tested it um it came back as pure heroin the -hmm. reason why somebody gave it is because they thought it was cut with a hallucinogen (laughs) and they didn't know what they were doing because there is a completely heroin naive population of drug addicts right now right. that don't know mm. what real like opiates or well, not real opiates but um anything other than fentanyl they right. know no feelings other than fentanyl hmm. that's to me that's nuts yeah it, it, it was yeah. it was crazy so maybe we could solve the drug problem by just making all the drugs pure. uh <laughs> no no well yeah <laughs> make them all pure but then make them all like veterinary Oh, things <laughs> like oh yeah heroin we use that for the dogs and the, you know the the methamphetamines and the crack we we give that to the mice and i don't know yeah so they do know now to answer that question that it is coming from like offset of purchasing veterinary stuff because the stuff was bought it wasn't stolen because they're one of the hypotheses was that it was just kind of disappearing from animal shipments like trucks and stuff like that but it wasn't like people were actually ordering it and be, having it shipped 
Yeah, well, I heard in some places it's pretty easy to get a veterinary yeah. license too. Like it's not like a medical license to get. And like if you have, say, a farm where you have mm-hmm. a bunch of horses, you can get some sort of like lower level veterinary license. So you'd be able to get it with something like that. So it's not near as right. tracked or regulated. There's a as, thin veil between um, pharmaceutical meds and large animal care. It's not like it is for like regular, you know, if you went in for something for your dog or cat, it's harder to get drugs. If you own a farm or have someone that runs a farm or owns one, it's far easier to get antibiotics and stuff like that. Yeah, you can So get it's not us. on Chewy. But no. <laughs> it, is, it is actually on Chewy, I think. But you need it, a prescription yes, for it. Yes, you need oh, a prescription wow. for it, which is crazy. Yeah. So the only obstacle is you just don't know how to spell it. Right. So, yeah. We, I mean, um, that's tricky. We've, we've actually, I've actually found someone in this county that actually purchases it, injects it. And adds it to what he uses, mm. and he's wondering why he has wounds. Mm. Okay, so so far, if I'm a person listening to this show uh, or, or this episode, at least I'm thinking, "Fuck yeah, score! They're putting more drugs in my drugs." So why don't why don't we go towards like why is this bad? Why is this dangerous? What's the harm? It's twofold. There's there's actually a bunch of bad things along with it. Um, I'll say the one I love the most for the end. Um, but the the first and foremost is naloxone doesn't work on it. So oh, when yes. you overdose, a lot of overdoses are misconceived as an opiate overdose. Right. And then people are pounding in six, seven doses of nasal Narcan, which is overkill. Right. Um, yeah, and this is a tranquilizer, right? So right. it's not an opiate, Zero, so it's yeah. a totally different yep. it schedule work of on drugs. Any of those, right. It doesn't work on any of the brain receptors that the opiates do. Naloxone is great at shoving all the opiates off the brain receptors, but it does nothing for xylazine. And um, what's happening is people are giving all this Narcan saying, oh, you know, it took eight doses to wake them up. It really didn't. Like the first two doses of Narcan are pretty much putting you into withdrawal. Like when you give eight, Mm -hmm. you go into rapid withdrawal. I got you. So what's happening is that person's in rapid withdrawal. All the all the fun stuff that comes along with withdrawal is there, the nausea, the shakes, the chills, the pain, everything. Um, But you can't move. So you're kind of locked in. So when they come to from the xylazine, it's pretty crazy. Like they, yeah. that's when people run. That's when people fight. That's and all that other stuff. Um, or they don't make it because no one's protecting their airway. Mm. And that's the big take home. Um, we went to a big harm reduction conference in Puerto Rico. And the big take home, nobody was talking about xylazine except for uh, like kudos to the state of Maryland. Maryland and Hopkins were the, really the only ones talking about it, which was crazy. And the big takeaway from the harm reduction is, is like airway protection and um, rescue breaths because those are the two things that, that will save people. Hmm. So I knew Maryland would be first to something. I just didn't know what it would be. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to be first yeah. to. Yeah. So Philly um, wasn't represented there? No. Hmm. So the, the people that were actually talking about it, they had, they had multiple – um, presentations through it like like some of the, they were smaller small room presentations and large room presentations was maryland with a cohort through hopkins hmm. huh and uh while i have you tell me more <laughs> what's airway protection so it sounds like jargon no i'm sorry yeah I, I always forget this stuff so airway protection a lot of people when they overdose you find them you know you're in a car slumped over you shoot two doses of narcan in them and they are dosing they usually wake up or they should start to you know look around talk to you that kind of thing um what happens is uh xylazine can actually cause your airway to not work so well like your breathing hole gets a little loose and won't work 
Um, airway protection means laying the person on the side, on their left side, in the recovery position. It's in all the Narcan trainings, but it's kind of, it's not gla like glossed over, but it's kind of forgotten about. So what you're doing is protecting the airway from vomit because nine times out of ten, you're giving them too much naloxone and vomiting is probably going to happen. And a lot of these folks end up aspirating or they choke on their own vomit into their lungs. And vomit and lung tissue don't go well together. <laughs> so the, the protection for that would be similar to the CPR, like lay them on their yes. side with their left face kind of... Yep, left side, arm underneath, head tilted okay. away and down, um, making sure their airway, their neck isn't like crunked over. And then um, the rescue breath. So one of the mantras people were saying there typically you give naloxone to you in a conversation you're talking to someone they wake up they're like oh what happened you're trying to fill them in and it's it's respirations not conversations hmm. so now they're they're telling people watch for breathing and if you're at like 10 breaths a minute that's enough to sustain life and you might have to sit there longer now with when someone overdoses and we've seen evidence here of that i feel like i could use this to my advantage somehow like damn girl i I think you're on xylazine. Well, we can't talk right now. We got to give you some breaths. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Tell me how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty scary. I, I will say when you said airway protection, I, the rational part of my brain was like, yeah, he's got to be talking about like CPR, keeping vomit out of their mouth. The other part was like, do I have to like stick my finger down there to make sure it's clear or something? Yeah, no, that's the old way they used to say like this, the like sweep Fish the hook, mouth yeah. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you end up getting bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For real, you end up getting bit. Yeah, bad. Um, it's really just making sure they're laying on their side and not vomiting. I, I know this wasn't the important part of what you were saying, but I'm kind of hung up on it. Like the airway hole gets too loose to work. So the muscles, the the kind of the muscle, the epiglot, the thing in the back of your throat that flips back and mm -hmm. forth really just stops working. Okay. And okay. It, that makes yeah, sense. I got it, you. It, it's overly sedated or it's a muscle relaxer. It's it's you almost know? like the uh so, sorry plumbing background the uh the check valve yeah. stops oh, absolutely. working gotcha if the check valve stops okay yeah that makes you get a lot back flow in either way or right, the whole right. thing stops working yep okay hundred percent so um so you got that you got that naloxone doesn't work on it xylazine addiction is a real thing now and that's kind of out there um you can't test it on people so this is all anecdotally from case by case studies of people coming into the emergency room or the hospital that are now um, withdrawing or detoxing and three to four days in, they get so much bent up anxiety that they just can't handle it, but they're being, they're being met with their opioid demand. You know, they're, they're, they're getting their medicine. They're, they're up on their um, methadone or suboxone and they don't know what's going on. And typical drugs that work, the clonidines and the benzos and stuff really aren't touching it. And they, so these cases are now becoming more prevalent, or at least people are more aware of it. And um, that's another bad side of it is the xylazine addiction because it causes – the withdrawal from it causes extreme, extreme anxiety. Well, and I would imagine the, the difficulty – like it was – it sucked for, for me when I was using because it was like, man, I don't have money. I got to get that. I got to go purchase it. I got to hope it, I don't get burnt. But geez, the added part of like, oh, shit, I didn't realize there was a second or third – you know, substance in here right. that I now I'm also addicted to. And, and who knows if Jerry across town also has that in his shit. And, right. and that, and that's actually a big part of it. So when we do our drug testing, we don't check for percentages. Right. Like the way that we do it is it's supposed to be quick and fast just to tell you what's in it. Um, there is a toxicologist that's an addiction medicine specialist in Philly now doing 
quantity. He's like a forensic toxicologist. And they're showing percentages of some of the xylazine, how it's, you know, the bag hits the streets, more fentanyl than xylazine. Then after, you know, like a couple of days, the xylazine starts creeping up, the fentanyl starts creeping down. Mm. We've tested bags are just xylazine, no right. fentanyl, no opiates. Wow. Um, but we haven't tested anything that's just fentanyl, no xylazine. Hmm. You know, so it's it, they're just adding more. It's saving pennies, right. but it's still it's a market they know they got. Oh yeah, this is uh, capitalism, man. Hundred percent. Right. <laughs> and we're talking capitalism, like pharmaceutical capitalism, on like the microgram level. But it's still they're saving money on it. If they found out you could put human turds in there and make some money, there would be a lot of people's <laughs> right. hands in toilets. I'm just oh, saying, hundred like, percent guaranteed, hundred percent. Any way to make a game. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So you have the addiction, the withdrawal, the uh, overdoses, and then also, and this is a major one, and this is what usually gets the most attention is wound care. And they don't know why it causes wounds. And, you know, if if all of us were injecting drugs, we may not get one. Mm-hmm. Or you might get one and never get it again. Or you can inject in your arm and on your leg you get a wound. Huh. So this is a really weird drug inside the body, and they're not 100% sure why it happens. There's a couple of schools of thought, and all of them seem right. Some of the other schools of thought within the past six months have kind of faded a bit. Like, one of them is that it, it increases the addict picking. Like, everybody in medicine wants to blame something, and everything's everything's <laughs> right. good on the table. Like, everything's fair game on the table. But unfortunately, because of the stigma attached to addicts, Picking was always one of the things. And I'm like, I have I have very pristine folks that come in here that are like like profoundly clean, <laughs> great hygiene, that don't pick anything, right. and the wounds still appear and they're still problematic. Hmm. Um and that was like my big flag waving. Like, not everybody that does drugs is dirty. Right. <laughs> and most people that do drugs want to know there's xylazine in it. Like that was the other thing that other people were kind of shocked about. Like when we started testing, I have a board and you can go over and see like fentanyl, xylazine, heroin, none of that or what's in it. And um, through just general education, I started telling people like when you go to the hospital, tell them, you know, you're taking fentanyl and xylazine. Let the, the every doctor know what this is and they can call me. Because sometimes, I mean, this is still very, very new, even though it hit the news. Um, like we were focused in the newspaper, The Sun, like in in June. And even then, it was recognized back in June that it was a problem. Right. But like the Baltimore Sun was ahead of ahead of some of the news agencies in picking it up. That's a shock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, so the wounds are they can be debilitating. A lot of providers look at these wounds, and provider meaning doctor, especially in the emergency room, and they're so gnarly looking that amputation is an option right away. Mm. And what we're finding is. With the right client or participant, amputation is not necessary at all. But right. it it takes that client wanting to get better, wanting their wounds to heal, and actually like adhering to a plan. 
but we have a we have a participant now that went to the hospital and they they told them that they would lose a finger and that the wounds almost closed now and it takes it does take time but it takes that person being diligent enough to want to heal themselves now i'm not recommending this for anybody but just i'm sorry i keep going to stray um smoking turds <laughs> no, no not this time not this time if you had this on like the tip of your finger could you just cut your own finger off would um, that get rid of it or is it like through your body and that's just where it's showing up it's through the body and where it's showing up okay so some people we we have some participants that will inject in their arms i have one that was this is a slide that's got some traction now a girl injected in her feet and you could see the injection sites and day one, we saw the wound start. Mm. And day five, I was able to take the same photo and to show where the wounds have progressed. And there's one site that wasn't an injection site. Mm. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's downstream for one. But it wasn't. Like a lot of people think because when you inject, it'll, you know, it travels. Right. Um, and it's just in the bloodstream causing these wounds. And it's not. Mm. Yeah. And people that snort it get the wounds inside their nose too. Wow. Mm. But not everybody gets it. Right. So what works for you, and this is where I think some of the street level information gets crossed. What works for you may not work for you, but it works for me too. So we're around telling everybody, oh, just snort it. Right. But you do it and like you're blowing out like an aborted mouse fetus out of your nose. Like this big right. blood clot and chunks of meat come out. Um, so it doesn't work for you. There's no right answer to like how to, how to do this safely. Right. And that's why I – you talked about it in the 60s. It was being tested for humans. It was unpredictable then, and it's still unpredictable. Wildly unpredictable. Yeah. Yep. The FDA did something right by saying you can't use it on humans. Mm -hmm. But now we're we're kind of locked into place now because teaching institutions can't test on people, even willing people, to see what it does or how we can like fix it. Like, is there a cream you can put on the site to decrease the, the trauma to the wound area after injection? Like, it starts with a like a kind of a purpley spot and a blister. Could you put a lotion or cream on that? Because there are some medicines that do work, but you can't test on it. And there's no there's no like like exceptions to these rules. Now, could you find someone to test on? Probably. I think some of the institutions are looking into this now, dealing with participants, like some of the teaching institutions testing their drugs on site and then treating the person and then documenting what they did to that person. So at least there's some sort of documentation behind it. Right. Cause right now there's none. It's like me sharing with other people. Right. So, so I'm curious when you're treating people who have gotten these wounds, are you finding that like you said, it takes the, the specific person who really has the ability in that moment to show up and, and do the things that you're asking them to do on a regular basis is that proving effective every time or is the treatment also kind of sporadic, just like the drug where sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't? I, I knock, knock on wood. I haven't met that yet. Okay. Like I've been really successful with things. Um, I'm treating them very delicately. Like I'm treating it like it's your body. Uh, there's certain types of wounds the immune system causes, like your body's fighting itself. Hmm. I'm treating the wound like that. This is right where I was going. Thank you. So <laughs> I'm of that school of thought too. Mm -hmm. I think this is an immune, immune system type wound. I think the body's reacting to it and there might be some other factors to it. But I think the immune system, this looks, it looks like and smells like and tastes like a wound the immune system causes that, mm -hmm. Fortunately enough, I had a lot of exposure to in Baltimore working with um, like a certain – it's a certain rare and exotic wound kind of thing. Um, so I'm treating it kind of the same way and it's working. Okay. And 
other folks are trying different things. You know, other like some work, some don't. But this has proved to be successful. Like when I first started here, like my like the formula, like the things that I wanted here, it probably 15, 20 things. I've actually kind of summed it up in the four. Okay. And one of which is super easy to use, and that's like the the go to for me. It's a burn dressing. So I'm treating it delicately, almost like you would treat a burn. Right. We've had good success with this kind of dressing in a clinical setting too. You know, a lot of times in a clinical setting, you have access to all this expensive stuff, like really expensive drugs and really expensive topical things you can put on. Um, this has been working and it's easy. It's nursing easy. So it's not like a strain on the staff. Right. Um, financially, a lot of folks, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of our participants are like the fight or flight. They just bounce from the hospital. This is easy to dress. It's not expensive. So it's not like a, a stress on the system either. I know the local wound center is actually starting to pick up on it because some of our participants that do have insurance that have been following up because I want to teach everybody I can about how to do it right. and share it with everybody because it's a lot less work for me. If <laughs> institutions right, are doing right, it bigger, right. more people are actually treating it. I don't need to. And the ones that I've, the people I've convinced to actually keep their appointments at the wound center, the wound center is actually sending them out with this stuff now. So that's a win in my book. Well, I was just going to say, people have been injecting drugs for decades. What is different? I mean, we've always heard of, you know, track marks and abscess and things like that. What is different about these wounds that we're seeing now with the xylazine than so, traditional? So take all of the, the issues you have with injection drugs that everyone knows already. The track marks, like the, um, like the hardened veins and are like losing the ability to inject and stuff like that. And then add on, um, these wounds start like a little purple splotch and it kind of looks like they're on fire. The edges are not, um, you know, like a wound's round. When this first starts, it kind of looks like it's like a, if you ever lit a leaf on fire and blew it out, how the edges kind of cinder in and kind of like erratically burn. That's what the edges of the wound look like. Hmm. Um, but it's only like a purple discoloration, like a weird bruise. And then a blister forms, the blister comes off and that bruise is actually dead. It's hmm. dead skin underneath, but it really doesn't go deep. And over time, a lot of people, um, and this is one of the, the street medicine things that I hate, is everybody's like, let it air all. It needs to get a scab. <laughs> the minute it gets hard, what happens is that tissue starts to, almost like a cork, it sits and it holds the bottle open, like it, it clogs up the bottle. When this stuff gets hard, it's probably, you know, like a centimeter, maybe a little bit more deep, but it will make the wound not heal. And it stays there like three, four, five months if you don't do anything with it. And it, it's this weird, weird, hard black spot. And unfortunately, over time, your body doesn't like it. Um, they usually don't get infected, which is pretty – that's a unique part of this. And it might hurt around the edges. People start injecting. And that's one thing that I, I'd love to know more of why they do. A lot of these wounds, people make worse by injecting around the edge of the wound. Mm. Part of me wants to say maybe it's pain relief. You know, because they're not getting a vein. Right. Like the tissue around there, they're pulling up like like pinkish red fluid, but it's not blood. People are aware it's not blood. When I ask, they always tell me, oh, I don't have any veins I can get. I'm like, I, I, I can see three on your arms right now. <laughs> I got you. But Just you keep me. going back <laughs> over here. Like you literally keep going to the wound edges. Mm -hmm. um, we have participants that like their whole back of their hands eaten away and they continue to use the edge of the wound. Why? I mean, you got friends, you get high with friends, let them, like, let them try to hit somewhere. Hmm. 
You know, this is harm reduction 101. I know right, this isn't, right. yeah. I'm, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. Please, I hope you're not offended, but I like to try to solve problems. So give me, give me a moment here. <laughs> I, just the way you described that just now, it reminded me of like when you get a new tattoo and you can't let it get dried out and hard, right? Have you tried exactly. putting any like tattoo cream on it? So, uh, you know what? <laughs> the, the dressing I use is um, it's old as the hills. It's a sheet of linen almost. Oh my God. With it's Vaseline, the tattoo covering. <laughs> with Vaseline and um, this stuff called bismuth. And it's it, the, the dressing is like it's so old that like anyone can make the dressing themselves because it hasn't been it, there's no copyright on it it's i mean as old as the hills yeah um, i just and, got a tattoo thursday and, and i left with one of these and you can probably remember it's like from 1970 this black pad yeah. with a piece of tape around it yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. oh you're good i'm yeah. like this sounds My like, like saran wrap <laughs> right, the, right. The tape and yeah. saran wrap exactly um and like a, a piece of uh paper on it yeah th- but that's what this is is a burn dressing that they use a lot in the burn units okay. and stuff and it causes no trauma it's soft on the wound um it keeps so there's some things in wound healing that need to be there uh, like moist moisture not wet but moist um temperature is really important on wounds every time a wound's exposed to air like when everybody says just let the air hit it you lose degrees of temperature mm. and wounds need to be kept at a certain degree for that new skin to start right um all of this stuff does it keeps the moisture in it locks moisture in it softens that hard rock hard cork that holds the wound open and um keeps the temperature mm-hmm. like my dressings are super simple and they seem to be working that's awesome man. it's crazy and there's some um i was on a zoom with a, a bunch of folks from across the country and they were well what if they can't afford xylose or uh zero form is addressing the, the name of it and we have i'm I'm getting back onto a call this week to see they were taking t-shirts and cutting strips and just putting Vaseline on it to mm-hmm. see if it worked, whether or not the bismuth is the important part or, or just the, the Vaseline. Right, the, right. So there's, and these are all street level tests that we're doing. And these are people willing to go out and say, Hey, look, you know, like, can we see if this works on your wound? Right. Right. And participants, our participants are willing to do just about anything. Like from, like for me, just helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a young young fella that's got he's his wounds on his hands are so bad, and uh, we've healed him six times, but he keeps going back to injecting them. And uh, he came in the other day, just you know, just saying hi. And he's like, "If there's anything I can do for you, if we can try out anything to heal these again, mm-hmm. like anything, you want to try something different on one? I'm willing to do it. <laughs> like that willingness is crazy right. to be like a, a scapegoat, you know." Well, well, there you go, people out there. If you're running into these uh, wounds on yourself and you've ever had a tattoo, treat them like a tattoo. Yeah. So, Jason, I, I wanted to go back a little bit. Um, when I had asked you like what you were doing in the treatment that was helping, I was curious if that gave any clues to what was going wrong, right? And you, you went right to the kind of sort of autoimmune mm-hmm. uh, possibility. Uh, the book I'm reading right now, the Myth of Normal by, by Gabor Mate is, you know, giving a lot of our medical research and trying to make the jump to say that we already have the information that kind of proves quite a few of our physical ailments aren't as totally physical as we seem to think they are. At least that's his belief, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's a really interesting book. I, I, I'm loving it so far. But just this idea of the the suppression of feelings can create a toxic environment in our body where our cells can't produce right and lose telomeres and shorten Mm -hmm. telomeres and all this stuff is causing the chaos like i'm curious since this doesn't have a 
quote unquote predictable effect, at least by what we can measure in humans, is it possible that the predictive ability would come from knowing which individuals were more like people pleasers who might be more likely to suppress emotions? Like, is that something you could kind of sort of start to do as you talk to people? It's well, it's part of what I and it's funny you bring that up because one thing I stress all the time, it's part of this kind of wound care. And when I say this, I just mean with xylazine wounds, really. Um, is teaching the person how to take pride in themselves and their wound. That's mm-hmm. why I touched on before with a person that would lose their finger, mm-hmm. teaching them and getting them on board and having them do something positive for themselves is worth a lot of weight when it comes to healing. Wow. Um, so that's something that I always bring to the table. Like it's just not me doing things to people. In medicine, I just said this two days ago, medicine, medicine, we do things to people. You come to a place and we do something to you and hopefully it makes it better, Mm -hmm. Um, like an intervention of some sort. You know, your heart's blocked, we open it, and you go home with some medicine, and now you're alive again. Um, Wound care is more of a holistic, like you have to, the person needs to be be in on this because I can't do all the work. But what I'm finding is when someone's in on it and they're like really proud, like, hey, look, I'm healing, like I'm healing, Mm -hmm. and they're starting to speak in the I terms, of a positive and like the, the, the participant I was talking about with the really bad hands, seeing him smile was like a tremendous amount of stuff. And it seemed like it hurt him to smile because he hasn't been a smiley kid or guy. I mean, he's not a kid, but he's been inject- he's been using drugs since he was 12, though, mm-hmm. um, up in Cecil County and having giving him a positive thing. Like he stopped by to say happy Thanksgiving. Like, that's crazy that he wanted to get out of his basement and come and do something positive. And I think that's a big part of it is everybody lives in this, like, Eeyore moment of life. Like, the the world sucks. They get up every morning. They got to hustle or go steal or trick or whatever to get money to go buy drugs. Then the hunt for drugs happens. And then they spend part of the day running, mm-hmm. looking for it. And then, then they sleep all day or for the rest of the night because the tranquilizer and the, the fentanyl hits them. Then they lather, rinse, repeat. They get up and do it again the next day. Giving somebody something else to focus on, in my mind, has been helping people. Mm-hmm. And encouraging them to be like, this might be the first thing positive they've done for themselves in a while. And some of these wounds are like, hey, look, you're telling the hospital they're wrong. Like the person with the finger, like has some mental issues. Like they come with a huge bag of tricks. Let's put it that way. Like a whole bunch of stuff with them. But basically they're able to stick up that finger and say like, fuck you hospital. Like Mm -hmm. I still have my finger and you had a surgical consult to have it removed. And that person's so proud of it. Mm-hmm. Like, look what I did. Look what I did. And they still come over and it's almost closed. I'm like, you don't need to come back and show me. I, I trust you're going to finish this out right. And they still want to show me every day that mm. it's almost closed. And that's proud. Like, that's an <laughs> internal pride that they, I don't know. I, I think there's something to that. I think your psyche has a lot to do with, like, drugs aren't fun. They, like, the world that I see every day, people are like, you know, you're around all this stuff. You never did heroin or fentanyl and stuff like that. Doesn't this make you want to do it? I'm like, zero chance. This is the saddest world I have. I don't see people smile. I don't see people happy. Like, this isn't like, like opium dens look like more fun than this. Like, like, I've never seen more sadness in a a human than I do with this this level of drug addiction. Which I think is a huge point to make right now. We have this moralized system of judgment versus, you know, people who are caught up in drug addiction or substance use, you know, disorders. And 
I mean, the reality of it is, like, it's not this life of debauchery and partying and, like, right. yachts and fucking <laughs> chicks in bikinis. Right. Or, not at all. It's miserable. It, Every fucking day, it's miserable. Right. And I think if more people knew that point, maybe we would stop moralizing. So whenever like, nobody's I think happy. About, whenever I think about people here, at least the people, the participants I'm seeing in, in the two counties I cover, I only see it in black and white. Like, if someone asks me about a person, I don't see that in a color. Like, I literally... Every thought I have about them is in black and white because it's so miserable looking. Mm-hmm. So what you said about the, the wound care and the treatment that you think is impacting it just there, what I heard was you've got people who grew up who probably had some struggles with the authority figures in their life, right? There was probably not a happy caregiver background going on for them. So they've already got this issue with authority. They probably ran into it everywhere else they went in their life. Now they've become, you know, addicted to drugs because of the miserable way they felt dealing with authority. And now you're showing up as a compassionate voice, something they don't get barely ever. Right. And you're giving them a way to stick it to another authority figure with your compassion. (laughs) And they're like, fuck, yeah, I'm bought in. Right. We're going to stick it to the authority. And that's actually what I realized. As soon as someone tells them no. Like the, the person with the finger came and it looked it was a bad wound. I'm like, well, I started debating with him. I'm like, look, so you got, the doctor said cut it off now. It's not infected, right. but it, it could be in the tendon and bone. It was on the knuckle, um, really bad place for a wound. So we always know, so that, that's one avenue. We know the path already. Mm-hmm. Give me a week. Give me one week. It's not going to change in a week for the worse. If it does, you can always go down that path. You right. know, you can always go back to the hospital. They already have consults set up. They can look through your notes. Boom, you're right back in that pathway. Give me a week to see if what I'm doing works. And for me, that week is about training that person how to take care of themselves, the signs and symptoms of infection, um, what really is a, a thing that will make you go to the hospital because not everything means you need medical care. And then whether or not the treatment plan works. Mm-hmm. And within that week – that interaction that I see that person more frequently, like I might see them every day mm-hmm. um, if I have the opportunity to. And this person was locked in, so I did have the opportunity. That's when I start building up self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you're talking about a person who you're now seeing every day that might have been getting zero moments of compassionate connection yep. previously on any days. And this person was complicated because of the psychiatric issues. They're pretty profound. Um, and like, I, I, it's not like it's fake, but... In the beginning, like, I'm like, I believe in you. You probably haven't heard that in a long fucking time. And they looked at me and like, no. I'm like, I actually believe in you. I wouldn't be wasting my time with you. Mm. Like, this isn't a waste of time until it is. And I don't think this is. I believe in you and I want to spend time with you every day to teach you how to do this. And they, they were like, no one's ever believed in me. So I I don't know if this will happen because I I would imagine the grassroots individuals that you're talking to in this community of people treating these are probably all in it because they care and have empathy and compassion. But if you run into people who are telling you like, oh, that treatment you said isn't working, 
don't forget to tell them about the compassion piece of the treatment. Because in my mind, that's what you're doing. You're healing them with your fucking heart, bro. And well, I and that's the part that keeps me back to wound care. Like I always wanted to do wound care for a reason. And um, like I'm not a religious person at all. Working at a Catholic hospital or formerly Catholic hospital, you see a lot of like, um, like one of the big universities bought it and. You st- we still had the patient population of like the elderly sisters, like the el- like the old like ratchet over like fingers are gnarly and like um like the sisters and nuns and stuff. Uh, but the one asked me, she was quizzing me. I went to Catholic school for twelve years. She quizzed me on my like the Ten Commandments. What's the Seventh Commandment? What's the First Commandment? <laughs> and I told her, she's like, "Do you go to church?" I was like, "No, sister, I don't." Like, I haven't been to church in a long time. Like I think I did my twelve years of time. Like I got out on good behavior. I didn't go to college. Uh, like a, a like a Catholic college or anything. And at that time, she's like, you go to church every day. She's like, you're, you're like sitting below me on your knees, cleaning my feet. I'm in a wheelchair and I can't look up and you get below me so you can see my face. Hmm. I was like, I didn't realize I was doing that. She's like, you're at church every day. Like, Hmm. stop, like, stop. You know, like this shouldn't even be a question. It was that statement that made me start thinking about like, there is a holistic side to healing that isn't just medicine. It is that those couple seconds you take with somebody to talk to them about them because medicine's always about doing to somebody, not with them. Mm. And I think wound care is like you can walk with somebody through that. And that's what keeps keeps me coming back. I'd actually like to argue that medicine should probably be more doing it with people too and it might be more <laughs> effective, but at least yeah. we got it with the wound care. <laughs> yeah. I think med- I think I think society itself is kind of moving that way with a lot of stuff um i know psychiatry is changing a little bit that way also yeah and compassionate care you're starting yeah. to hear a little bit more about compassionate yeah, care in dipping, the medical you're, you're community you're hearing a little bit right. more um doctors the i know the new doctors the the baby docs are coming out of medical school and the fellowships and stuff they're actually learning differently about addiction mm. than because you always have this um spectrum of medical knowledge at a hospital level like a big teaching institution you have like the the old grandfather doctors that are the gray-haired men or like the elderly guy they're just old like wizards or wise beyond their days but they don't have the new information so to them at this moment addiction is a choice because they weren't really learning that it's a disease so now you have the fellows and stuff that are actually learning about like hey early treatment is someone in the emergency room might keep them here like, hey, maybe we'll start slipping them some bup sitting in a chair behind the desk and we'll keep them from running. Mm-hmm. You know, keep them, they'll stave off withdrawals. They still might not feel good. They'll still feel like shit. They're a little crummy because we can't meet what they're doing, but we can at least keep them here with a little bit of, you know, medicine. Right. That They're teaching them in that, that now. So addiction is a, a disease with treatable parameters. Um, and it's about treating the, the underlying issues of addiction instead of just the the drug part like i mean if i had a dollar for everybody that still to this day says well just can't they stop (laughs) just stop like why are they getting wounds just stop like just stop injecting that attitude was in medicine 10 years ago 15 years ago when i became a nurse but now it's different Hmm. like we understand like people would be like i understand you you still inject and that's okay and that that's crazy to me to hear that in an emergency room because I never heard that before. Well, I, I love that you're on this side of it, and I don't doubt that you're you're accurate with it starting to shift. But it's done. It, it's not enough for me. No, it's <laughs> like, not. We ain't there. No, we, we ain't there. So I can tell you this: the um, 
after going to Puerto Rico and meeting some of the underground network of like nurse practitioners, doctors, addiction medicine specialists, um, psychiatrists from all branches, like from the VA, like the like the psychiatrist, the head psychiatrist of the VA research was in, in Puerto Rico at the harm reduction conference, meeting and speaking with these people and then getting kind of into the underground stream of communication. Mm -hmm. There are tons of people out there that believe the same stuff, like the same shit I was just spouting off right. that are, this is the core of them. There, there's a lady from Pittsburgh that's, I, she's like, she introduced herself as an activist and she's a social worker. Um, but it's not any social work that you've ever you would ever think about, and she's and it's not like a rogue social worker, but it's she's on the ground doing the same stuff, mm. and seeing someone that's leading that charge and she's been doing this for like twenty some years, seeing her lead the charge or at least be like a, a in the forefront, pulling people together, mm -hmm. it's it's crazy. So I think there is an underground movement of compassionate care. I think there's an underground movement. I thought I was the only one doing wound care until I started realizing that, hey, look, there's there's a, a nurse practitioner in a tiny little town in Washington State that works for a harm reduction group that does syringe services that has been doing this too. Mm -hmm. Hey, wait, there's a place in Philly, Savage Sisters. They got a nurse doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, but we don't know how to get in touch with each other. Right, right. Yeah, so it's neat to to network through and see this. Because I stepped into the network, it was already well established. So it's like stepping into a stream, and it's really like the Susquehanna River. You know, like you're like, oh wow, I'm getting my foot wet. And next thing you know, you're surrounded with people wanting to do the same thing. It's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Hasn't hit the hospitals though. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm Still thinking. Not Fee for yeah. service. Yeah. Like we're not getting paid like hospital people get paid. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I would be, I'd be interested to see if there could be a way to study the offset costs that I'm giving this hospital up here for providing care that doesn't re require emergency room practice. Man. So if you can talk in if you can talk in let in in dollars and cents to organizations they'd love it. Right. Right. Like I think this is a vi I think doing what I do is viable enough where hospitals could employ people to do this. But it gets lost in that red tape. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and you're speaking to me because like, look, we got to work within the framework we got to make people listen. I get that, and yeah, money talks and saving money talks and all that good stuff. But at the same time, like, when are we gonna get to the societal point where it's like we do things because they're good for people, not because they're cheaper? Right. Like, you know, well, what we I mean? don't like, like socialize hospitals yet. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's so that's it's why. interesting. That, and you said something about the early in the very beginning about the safe drug supply. Um, you know, like making animals, animals that smoke and crack or heroin, whatever. Yeah. Like, like um, I, I got the opportunity to speak with a nurse who had been doing a safe injection site since the early 2000s. Mm. That is mind-numbing to me, but it's in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Like, Vancouver. it's like, yeah, Vancouver, yeah. And the nurse, that she's like, I don't know anything about drugs. She's like, I just happened to be there. And like, do you want to do this? <laughs> and she's like, I enjoy working with like people in addiction. So I was like, sure. So they started doing safe injection sites. And now that site is actually doing safe, safe supply. Mm -hmm. So you can go in and be like, hey, like, here's your fentanyl pill. Mix it up with water and we'll like let you get high in front of us. Make sure you don't overdose and go about your day. Go back to work. Right. right. Or like, like pure heroin that people can go do pure heroin. And it's not about. Eventually, she said, eventually people are coming and they look at themselves and they're like, what the fuck am I doing? Because when you take the, the chase out of it and you take like the everybody likes to be unsafe, that that adrenaline rush of like, ooh, this is this is bad. That leads some people to use drugs in general. Um, it's a thrill. When you remove all that, 
it becomes just like taking an aspirin and then you're like what the hell am i doing it's it's interesting you say that uh the same guy i referenced earlier gabor mate whose book i was reading now i've read a couple of his previous books and he he lists it out now he's he's a medical doctor he's not just some joe schmo off the mm-hmm. street he's worked with addiction he's he's headed up the vancouver area oh, okay. of <laughs> you cool. know drug addiction treatment so he's like a well-known figure he's not some you know nobody but uh he presents this idea that there is a thing inside of people called counterwill, and that for some of us, it's you know who are damaged, it's a little worse than others, and it really is. It's not even external. Like I could be thinking, I would like to have my dishes done, but then you know if I tell myself to do the dishes, instantly it's like nope. And yep. it, and I feel like that is a big part of the fight for people struggling with substance use disorders is everybody's telling them it's wrong, and it's almost like if we could just give them the space. They could figure out it's wrong themselves. Yep. But we don't give them the space to do that. So they're constantly just pushing back against it. And it's that counter will. And it's like. And, and you almost institutionalize the treatment programs. Like MAT is like almost institutional. Like watching people go to like like methadone programs, it's, it's so like you come up to a window. There's no human contact. Mm-hmm. There's no like handshake, even a touch, right. a hug. Like, I realized early on, touching someone, when you go meet somebody, put your hand on the shoulder or shaking hands with them is the first step in opening up that vulnerability. Oh, yeah. Like, we were saying earlier about talking to people. Like, I realize I, when I give, if I'm working a full day, like, actually seeing, you know, a bunch of people that day, I am emotionally and energetically drained hmm. because you give a lot of yourself every time you see somebody. Just by just general, like I'm, you always have to be on point and thinking like, okay, how can I make this pe- person feel more comfortable? How can I make this lady that's obviously uncomfortable feel more comfortable? Oh no, now she's crying. How do I make her, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a mental mind game constantly. Yeah. You almost said it too. How do I make her stop crying? Don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's it. And, and that's it. Like, and you have to go through those things. Like I, like mentally you're like, do I or don't I, what I or won't I like, what's right. the next step in making her in a better place well and, and it's it's like you said it's we have to retrain our brains because we can't do the normal societal thing we've been programmed to do right <laughs> normally we're like we got to fix the crying we got to yep. stop it and like that's not really the answer maybe no, we normally i away. reach over and grab tissues right like right. normally i'm like here like it's okay yes. and people are like i'm so i have more stories that can fill a book of crazy stuff i've seen up here but um someone came in with a wound and next thing you know, pants, underwear down around their ankles. Wound was like in the, the crease of their, their groin. Um, extremely nervous, awkward moment. Oh, yeah. Like they started crying. I'm like, stop crying. Like, <laughs> cover up. Like I, tur- I literally turned around the chair. And I had two people with me um, in the room that one was a nurse and, and one was like my wound care peer. And it shocked everybody. And the person stopped crying. And like we were joking. And by the end of the whole thing, she's like, thank you so much for being like understanding and caring and making this less awkward and treating them with dignity. Yeah. Like, and that was it. Like literally it. And they came back, they actually came back again to thank us after she's like, I got my stuff together now. Like, I'm not mm. going to cry. I'm not going to cry. She's like, thank you for it. Cause we talked to her about children and stuff like that. Like there was some stuff going on in her life and just that dignity part like that's worth more than healing a wound because the body heals itself i mean someone once told me and this is an old quote it goes back to like a greek philosopher i think but it's it's medicine is the act you put on while the body heals itself Mm. so that means a lot to me in wound care because you're as long as things are optimal they're going to heal even suboptimal they heal 
Like, you know, like with children, if children get wounds, you could tape them to the wall and they're going to heal. You know what I mean? As long as they get food in them, right. they're going to heal. It's, it's what you do in the process and ease, like, the tension, the anxiety. Um, a lot of folks are scared to go to the hospital. So teaching them that, like, hey, look, you don't necessarily need to go to the hospital. Let's see what you got. And that usually breaks the tension right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have other folks that are like, I need to go to the hospital. I need to go. I'm like, you don't need to go to the hospital. And this just happened. They said, I didn't need to be here. I just need to follow up with my wound care. I'm like, yeah. And like, okay, you might know what you're talking about. <laughs> Literally, that was said to me two nights ago in a text, which hmm. is crazy. Right. I'm right. like, I might know. I might not either. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't claim to know everything, but I don't think you need to be in the hospital. Your, your theory of, you know, the medicine and the body healing itself, that's very much the kind of the therapy world the- you know, theory of like, we need to, we just kind of need to get the stuff out of the way that's been holding you up, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's suppressed emotions, whether that's something you dealt with in childhood and are still carrying, whatever it is, like once we can clear out all the mess, everything else figures itself out by mm-hmm. itself. And and I think historically that's been viewed more of in a like, oh, if you don't know whether to be in your marriage or not, after you yeah. heal, you'll know, right? right? But I think we are starting to think more and more that's also with physical shit, like there's a lot of what we call phantom pain or autoimmune disorders mm-hmm. that we don't really understand why they're we don't have happening. A grip on them at all. Yeah. Right. And if we have this toxic environment in our in our mind body, all one, right? That is what's going to create more chaos and not let the body to heal. And so yeah, man, just mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm really liking the way this conversation is. No, cool. and um <laughs> it's funny. There was a there was a conference that I was part of for wound care and there was a doctor, I believe he was from Amsterdam. And he was talking about, like, do you need to wash wounds? And he was like, you don't. Hmm. Like, the body, like, unless they're, infe- like, grossly infected, right. like, once a week even's enough. Like, all depends on the wound itself. The audience ate him alive. <laughs> Literally ate him alive. And with the, like, his his broken English and everything, like, the, the nurses were just chewing him up. Like, right. chewing him up for, like, you need, the, everything needs to be clean. You need to wash the wound daily, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 you don't. Um, I felt bad for him, but it was it's that same mindset. Like, the body will do what it needs to do. Like, sometimes you need to nudge it a little bit. Right. You need to keep it on path. But what you just said, like, sometimes you just got to kick the box out from in front of someone so they don't trip on it. Yeah. But that box can stay there, but just make sure they don't trip. Yeah, and that's. Yeah. Picturing that, I'm picturing uh-huh. like instead of the box, I was picturing like uh, almost like the concrete shoes that the mobsters yeah. would put on somebody, right? And yep. we're just kind of like chipping it away to make each step a little lighter. And you don't need to, they don't need to be gone. Right. And like, just like uh, one thing I've realized from coming up here and not being an addiction, not understanding the full process of everybody in recovery, you're going to take your shit with you for the rest of your life. Like nobody's ever healed. Addiction is one of those things that can always double back on itself through like weak armor and stuff like that, or just, just general human nature. But nobody's ever, this job has made me realize there, there is no level of perfection. There's just good right now. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think, and good right now is, is a, to me, a great, great thing to strive for. (laughs) Like I enjoy good right now because you can't tell you what it's going to be tomorrow. And you know, you can, kind of look back on what you did right and wrong in the past but still you don't know what's going to come up next right right yeah good for now is one of those things i'm i'm pretty happy with 
I, I got to ask, because I'm going to have to title this Trank Dope just for the clicks. I hate that. Uh, I know, <laughs> I, that. I know. But uh, but since I'm going to have to title it that, why is it that you hate Trank Dope? So I think the media loves to, and I say the media like it, it's, it's a person, but yes. the media <laughs> loves to grab these like catchphrases, and I'd hate for this to be a catchphrase. It's not Trank Dope, because there's a lot of tranquilizers out there. And what is dope? Like, if you talk to an old dude, dope's still weed. Right. Like, do, like I smoked some dope. Like, did you? Like, what do you mean? Like, it's, a, it's a drug that gives you dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, I'm one of the purists, like, and this is what I, I teach people, um, participant-wise, no, I, I'm injecting. I don't tell them I'm injecting trank dope. I tell them I'm injecting, like, you are injecting fentanyl with xylazine. Mm -hmm. If we get the words out, people will understand it better. Mm. Um and I think it's just like the food you put into yourself. When you know what it is, you have a choice. You have more of a choice. Mm, when you're okay. using these broad terms that that people feel comfortable, like trank dope. I've yet to meet anybody from Pennsylvania that calls it trank dope. Some of the older participants that we see were like, it's trank. It's trank. And I was like, do you use that term? She's like, no. Like, like, we just go buy bags. <laughs> you know, I was like, then why are you using it? Like, well, we heard it on the news. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. When things fall to that, like, tranquilizers can be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's other tranquilizers out there. Benzos could be mixed in. But this is literally a xylazine issue with, with fentanyl. So I, I think the first person who picked up the story and decided to write about it probably just couldn't spell xylazine or yeah. fentanyl because <laughs> yeah. they're both weird. Uh, and so it was trank dope. Trank dope <laughs> yep. was born. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand that. I think getting the, I think words matter. I do think what we call something and what we name something affects our ability to interact with it inside ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Even in the therapy world, we say that all the time. Like if, if you're, you or I mislabel a feeling, we might not be able to heal it as well because we're right. not spot on with what exactly we're dealing with. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Sorry, I got to call it trying to open no, anyway, that, that's for the, okay. for the like, title. Th that's my, that's my uh, thing to bear, like we, my burden to bear. We like clicks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is there a, a, hate to say it, but like a safe way to use xylazine or is there, should people be checking for it and trying to avoid it? I mean, so this, and this goes to the, so from my background in harm reduction and, you know, do no harm from medicine, that whole concept of both of those, they're, they're coming up with xylazine test kits, but it's in everything. It's just like fentanyl test kits. They're, they're kind of, to me at this point, fentanyl test kits are, are not telling you anything you don't already know. Because if everything you buy is fentanyl, like we've only found out like 200, 250, I think now even close to 300 samples we sent in. Heroin has been an additive, not an active ingredient. So it's like a trace amount or like one or two samples that are actually heroin. The rest is all fentanyl. Wow. So you almost need like a heroin test kit to see if you got real heroin. <laughs> like I don't understand. And like marijuana, like that doesn't have fentanyl in it. Like so there are test kits coming in the pipeline. They are developing test kits for it. I'm unsure of the, at least in our community, other communities maybe, I'm unsure of the value of it because it's in everything here. Right. right. You know, I think in a community that still has black tar heroin, it might be beneficial to right, see right. if that, that's a thing because that still exists in some places. Hmm. Um, and knowing that it's coming, but just paying to, I think for me, paying attention to your participants is more important. When they say, oh, that made me feel weird, or when you hear keywords like, I slept for a couple hours, like those are really keying in. Um, 
or the you pay attention to the overdose stories like through like motivational like when you dig into people right. when they're like oh I, I someone overdosed and you say oh tell me about it like what happened like how many doses did you have to give did you have it mm-hmm. I am or nasal that kind of stuff you start talking to them more you you realize it's hey look this is a different kind of overdose that's where areas that don't have it are are recognizing it mm-hmm. but as far as a safe way no so what about like with the wounds? Like, is there something people should be doing like early on, keeping right covered, away? If they see wounds, and, obviously yeah. don't inject in the same spot. Well, no, <laughs> you, you know? laugh about it, but that's a yeah. big thing. Oh yeah, I know. everybody like, and that goes back to the. There's, I think, there's an addictive mechanism with this, and it's people are like, oh yeah, people. Oh, always, like that process of injecting. Yeah, in that it's like spot the set and like setting, its and it's addiction. part of the ritual. Yeah. But I think there's something the self harm portion. Mm. Um, there's a participant I've been working with that I've been trying to dig in deeper and I'm not a therapist or like have a psych background at all, but just listening that they know that the hands are visible and they do it to get back at their parent Mm. because their parent hates the fact that they use drugs. And when it's good, we can get it healed. But when it's bad, I know that the the participants having issues with their parent. Mm. Um, and I'm just through conversation trying to dig through that. Wow. That's different. Yeah. I didn't. I never put self harm as part of drug addiction. You know, it's all self harm. I know that's where we're going, but <laughs> it's. I never put like the psychiatric component on top of like the the cutters. But yeah, it's very it's similar to cutters. But what if it's not? What if it? If it's what do you mean? What if it's not self harm? What if what you're seeing is when they're not doing well with their parents, their emotional mind-body environment is worse, and that's why the wound's worse? Well, no, they're injecting their hands when they're not doing well. Like, I got that out of them. Okay. okay. Like, that much I've got out of them is that when they do it on purpose to get back at their, their parent. Okay. But even, even that, I would say, even though that sounds like an active choice of theirs— like oh, it's t- definitely not. This is someone like this person does not want this to happen. No, I get that. But in that moment of reactive nervous system to their parents, mm-hmm. right? That fight or flight response. I'm going to injure myself. That, a fight it. response yeah. to hurt you. So and it's that's still and that's a, the part, like the, the self harm part. Like it's that mental thing. Yeah, it's it's disassociation. Like, right. and it's I. That's something I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, the the person that was that the Baltimore Sun covered, like they lost a hand. They can. They knew they were going to, and just kept injecting. And we're like, they we saved one hand, but the other hand, they just kept injecting, knowing that they were going to lose it or potential to lose it. And then it just snowballed. And there was a point where they didn't care anymore, but there was a point where they still cared, but they would still use the hand. Right. It's a ritual part that would never break. So you you've given us kind of the description of what a wound dressing would look like for this wound that has seemed to be effective so far. And, and you know, my take that I'm throwing in there is throw a whole fuck ton of compassion at it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other really good practices that people could do if they know they have this or maybe even preemptive practices to avoid yes. having it? Um, so what we tell people and this has been kind of like across the board now. We're still trying to come up with like handouts for folks that actually are concise, like through different harm reduction organizations. Um, we don't know if this is true or not. A lot of the organizations use insulin syringes. Insulin syringes have a coating on the outside of the syringe that's a silicone base. We don't know if it adheres to that when you draw up mm. from like a cooker or wherever you're drawing the fluid into. Um, so we're telling people just to touch the, the needle itself, the metal part, onto an alcohol swab. Just touch it, not to drag it, and don't bend it or anything like that. Just literally tap it um, just to absorb any of the excess outside. Hmm. 
the not to use the same limb. We always let the limb cool off. If you get a wound on that limb, don't use on that limb if you don't have to. Okay. And then if you are prone to these wounds, go somewhere else. So the person with the, the hands I was talking about, they came in and said, I, this made me feel really weird. The wound got weird. Even when I cooked it up, it looked weird. I think there's a lot of xylazine in it. So I went somewhere else and bought bags from other people. Oh, that man. That's, I thought, so when you said go somewhere else, I thought that was still in line with the uh, a different no. limb no. idea. Like, <laughs> no, like no. go Purchase somewhere else. Go to a different Purchase supplier. Yeah. 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 Purchase a different, different bag source. from other people. Yeah. And, and I don't mean no offense by that, but I feel like that's useless. Like that was my last $10. I don't got $10 more to go somewhere <laughs> well, else. It, I'm shooting this shit. It's either that or lose your limb. I, I got yeah. you. And in that moment, I'm probably. Well, that was my question. I was like, did you finish going. off your bundle? And Talking they're like, yeah. Yeah, of course. But they didn't go back. For more that, of that, that makes guy. sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so maybe yeah. Okay, not not like the next throw time this away. Buy it. Right, right, right. Okay. Like, oh, that's reasonable. He's throwing it away. Yeah. Mm, this soured and they threw it yeah. away. No. Hey, like, look, this is coffee creamer. Oh well. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're going. Yep, I did tell you all. we snorted an animal tranquilizer out of a yeah, barn, yeah, yeah, right? Sadly enough, I was telling somebody the other day there used to be, and maybe there still is. It was Coracidin HBP. It was like a heart. It was like for blood pressure, but it was cold medicine or something. But if you took a whole box, you tripped. Yeah. Oh, it's, and, it's and like so we were like, it's like oh, yeah. They, yeah, 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 we were like stealing boxes. Yeah. And I took like 44 of these fucking pills <laughs> one night and, and tripped really hard all yeah. night. And then woke up the next day like shaking, like I was having <laughs> a fucking seizure. I was yeah, like, this right. is what not else good. you overdosed on? Right, right. I'm like, this is not good. What for yeah. me. We had a friend of the family. Why are we doing it again? That, that, um, <laughs> wasn't able to walk for graduation in high school because they fell off the stage into the band pit. <laughs> On like doing the same stuff, mm, wow. him doesn't remember any of it. Just knows that they pumped his stomach. They told him he was taking PCP because that's what the drug thing came back. Right. But the one, the cough suppressant, will te- sometimes test positive huh. in high enough quantities in your body as PCP. That's crazy. It's that's nuts. crazy. Well, well, Jason, uh, just looking at time here, we really do appreciate having you on. If you enjoyed listening to Jason, there's another episode he is on about nursing and wound care that we have. You number can- seventy six. Yep. Jenny. Yep. All right, Jenny's awesome. She yeah. looked into that. It's number. 76 you can look that back up uh did want to acknowledge we got a, a large donation from chelsea one of our listeners this morning thank so you. thank you chelsea that was very kind of you and and if you feel so inclined to donate or to give back to the community obviously that money does not stay with us we use it to keep the podcast running but anything that's a profit goes back to the community to help people get what they need to to have a successful chance at early recovery um so please if you feel that go to our website recovery Go to click the PayPal link and donate or uh, donation free ways to assist us was you can tell your friends about us. You can post us on your social medias. You can let people know you can like rate and subscribe our podcast wherever you listen. And uh, look, go out there and be compassionate to people. And, you know, that is going to maybe help them have a better day and a better physical life as well. Thank you again, Jason, for no, coming no out. No problem. Anytime, guys. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.